It is really good to be with you in the house of the Lord. Uh, Meeting in the ark has its challenges and also its benefits, right? And uh, it's our pleasure to be here with you tonight. It's not every day that we have a service totally committed to communion. In fact, I'm not sure since we've been a part of the neighborhood church that we have had that. And sometimes it becomes kind of a thing that we just go through, kind of go through the motions. Um, But tonight, we just want to stop. We want to hit the pause button, and we want to look at, at what it really means. And our reason for doing this is to give you a fresh way of looking at communion. Uh, It is central to the neighborhood church. We do it every week without fail. Um, I was visiting with somebody in the church who said he had grown up in a church that only had communion about every six to eight weeks. And he said, you know, he, he understood it was It was going to happen eventually. He didn't know when, but it didn't have really any significance for him. And I thought that was interesting. Um, He said he came to the neighborhood church where we do this at the end of every worship service, and he said because it was repeated week after week after week, he saw the significance and repetition. Well, this is important. So we're going to do this week after week. And he said because of that, he had really come to love the time of communion in our church. Um, Biblically, we hear it all through the Scriptures. And I've asked three people, uh, if you three people would stand where you are. And I believe, Michelle, do you have Matthew? Uh, Jared has Matthew 26, 26 through 30. Listen to the word of the Lord. I love this setting, and, and we've heard this over and over about the disciples being there with Jesus and how he instructs them. And with that instruction, he's not only describing to them what they are to do that night, but also for the church built on the rock to continue to do this practice. And then uh, another reading comes from Mark 14, 22 to 26. Isn't it interesting, uh, John and Kelly, that they always sang before they went out? Uh, always a worship full of song and, and full of communion. Oh, we tend to think that uh, the church has always been centered around preaching. But that's not always been the case. Early on, the disciples continued this pattern of gathering in homes, but they would break the bread together. They would have this communion practice so that they could talk about what Jesus had done for them. Later on, the churches started having communion services each week where the church would come together and it would be communion. And then at some point early on, they added kind of a second segment, which was preaching. 
And as time went by, the preaching became more popular than the communion. And so we travel on to what we have today is the, the preaching is centered in our church, but also communion is the center. Now, I grew up in the 1950s. I, did, I know you didn't think I was that old, but I am. But church to me, I mean, I was, I was part of a family that really was devoted to Jesus and going to church. And by that, I mean, we went on Sunday mornings, we went on Sunday nights, we went on Wednesday nights. We went to very every vacation Bible school and every night of ever revival that was ever had there. So we were like prone to go to church and be with our community. But something we didn't do very often was have communion. So growing up, communion to me was that time ever now and then that we would have communion, and it was always served the same way in the tiny little cups and some type of little cracker. And I, I remember I never did like the cracker. It didn't quite taste right, and there never was enough of the grape juice. And, and through the eyes of a child, I sensed that something was special about this, but I really didn't put two and two together. My dad was minister of music, and my best friend's dad was the preacher, and they lived right next door to the church in a parsonage. And most Sundays, I would stay with my best friend, Janet Engel, and we would play all afternoon until my parents came to church that night, and then I would go back with them. Part of our playing was to go over and play in the church, which was always left unlocked. And, and I loved it when it was days that we had communion because her father was tired after preaching and didn't go put all the elements up. So there in the back of the church were all the little bitty cups that were un, undrunk. <laughs> undranked, uh, and, and there was the little pieces of crackers. We ignored the crackers, but we thought we were really cool when we could finish up all the grape juice. And that, to me, if you had asked me back in those days what communion was, I would have told you, this is a really cool thing where Janet and I get to finish it off. Um, but, and then another repetition in the Bible uh, from Luke. So we've looked at Matthew and Mark. In the New Testament, we're talking about lots of repetition of Jesus offering himself as the bread and the drink as his blood that he shed for us. But there's one particular phrase I want you to pick up in Luke twenty-two fourteen to 20, and Michelle's going to read that. Thank you very much. The phrase I wanted you to really catch in that was Take this cup and share it among yourselves. Interesting that Jesus is not just, this is between you and me, and you'll have communion, and that's when it's shut the door. But no, Jesus was like, take this and share it among yourselves. So growing up with communion and going to several different denominations of churches after I was older, I saw communion uh, kind of handled in different ways according to the church that I was going to. Always it had been kind of served to you. Either you come down and get the elements or the ushers would come and serve you. And my mind was stretched a lot 
when I went to Israel, and on a Sunday morning, uh, my son and I had the privilege of going to church at the Church of the Nativity, which it, the church was built on top of the, the cave-like thing that, that we believe that Jesus was born there. And so we, we went to this place, and we were so excited because having church right there at the spot where Jesus was born was very special. You kind of had to go under to get in the church, and then you had to go down some steps, and it was kind of cave-like. And all the people came down, and they were just, there were no chairs. There wasn't a big room. It was just kind of arms kind of sticking out. And so all the people just lined, lined up, and the priest came through, and the priest preached his service, and they came to the part of communion. And so the priest blessed the drink, and he blessed the, the bread and broke it. But he had a basket of bread that was like this, and it was huge loaves. And so as I watched, I, I mean, I, this was special to me, but also I'd never seen anything like it. So the priest would come around with the bread, and he just walked, and as he walked, he was saying things. And people would take a hunk of bread, and put it in their pockets. And then they would reach in, take another hunk, and put it in this pocket. Or the women were putting it in their purses. They would take some, and the next priest that passed with a cup, they would dip, and they would eat. So they were taking communion, but they were also stealing bread. In my eyes, I was like, whoa, I've got to understand this. It almost seemed sacrilegious to me because it was different from what I had thought. And so when we got back, we were staying with a, a Palestinian family who lived in Bethlehem, and we were so anxious to ask them, what does this mean? I mean, I was sneaking my movie camera in there, taking it sideways, and trying to figure out, what, what does this mean? Well, look back at this verse in Luke where Jesus says, take it and share it among yourselves. And so the people we were staying with said, no, no, they're not taking it just for the sake of taking bread, but somebody back home is too sick to come, or somebody couldn't come because of this reason or this reason. They are taking communion with them outside, out back to their homes, to the people who could not come to church to take it. And that really stretched my thinking so much in that it's not just one way of doing communion. It's, it's a lot of different interpretations. And I go back to, I think now, of sharing communion with others. This this, tonight's service to me seems to come at a very uh, interesting time, I guess, in that we are reading the book Embrace together. And for the past three weeks, we've had somebody come up here and they share a story of Embrace about how this book has, is changing the way they think. And we're not going to have just a story of Embrace tonight because we're going to talk about the ultimate story of Embrace. Because I'm pretty sure that Jesus didn't know the word other or them 
And I can say that with confidence because it's scripture itself that tells us that Jesus, this dude, he, he ate at all the wrong tables. He met with the wrong people. He sat with the wrong people. He welcomed the wrong people to his own table. I mean, once you remember this story, right? He was at a wedding, and instantly he turned this dirty water into the most amazing wine these folks had ever had, right? And in doing that, he kind of blurred that line between what is sacred and what's secular. And during another meal, he allowed a woman of, we can say, kind of questionable reputation, right? He allowed this woman to wash his feet with her hair and her tears. And in doing that, he recalibrated the scales of value and identity. And then there was another time, y'all getting the picture that this this Jesus guy was like, he was out there. I mean, another time he invited himself over to the home. I mean, he's like, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over, right? So he invites himself into the house of this totally hated man. And as we talk about this last meal that he had, he shared his last meal with with a guy who would eventually betray him. Y'all ever heard of the, you know, the book of etiquette, right? We don't, I don't refer to that very often. I'm not sure that's no shock, right? But there is, there is a book of etiquette, and Jesus, by choosing his table mates, he pretty much drop-kicked that book out the door. He wanted nothing to do with that. And I think that his example of his choice of table mates and the way that he chose to break bread, it's kind of an example of what our own tables should look like. Now, our table tonight, it looks a little different, right? looks like an old door. And you might be saying, as Mark Sweet did, why the door? Right? And I wouldn't tell him. I made him stick out through the, the rest of this service. But the door is very symbolic, and we have chosen it on purpose tonight. We've chosen it to represent that, that by welcoming everyone to his table, By doing this, Jesus himself became the good news to all the hungry and that his table became the door to that good news. Now you see the bread and you see the wine. Those are the familiar elements. We see them every week. But what we wanted to bring to light tonight were the elements that you don't see. But they are the elements that were and are They're the unseen things at the table of every single meal that Jesus has. So tonight, tonight, all of you, and maybe it's not you, maybe it's someone you know, but for all of those who are hungering for acceptance, Jesus has a table, he has a seat right here at this table for you. And for those who are thirsting for forgiveness, maybe... For those needing to forgive, you're in the right place tonight. And for those craving redemption, and maybe for those starved for hope, welcome to the table. Acceptance, forgiveness, reconciliation, and hope. We all have something inside of us that wants to be accepted. That's why we see so many different groups Uh, If you can't fit into this group, you might go over to this group. But at this table, this is acceptance of the family of God. 
This is where we are all so different out in the world and, and where we live. Some of us live really far out. Some of us live, a lot of us live in different cities. We work different jobs. We have different families. We have different relationships. We have different family dynamics. And yet, we leave all that outside of the door when we come in, and this is where we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. This is the acceptance that we talk about by coming to the table. I was at a monastery in New Mexico It's called Christ in the Desert, and it is a couple of hours outside of uh, Santa Fe. And I was there for a spiritual retreat, and at the end of one of the services that the brothers were chanting, um, we were looking forward, it was my son and I, we were looking forward to communion. I'd never had it at the monastery, and we had spent several days at a silent retreat, so, this was like the culmination of that. And I remember waiting in line. All of the visitors who were there were waiting in line to go to the priest. And I remember stepping up to him. I was very humbled to be there. And when he looked at me and he looked in my eyes, he put down the elements. And then he leaned over and touched me on my forehead and said, bless you and I was refused the elements. I can't tell you what I felt at that point because that faith, the Catholic faith, believed that only Catholics were allowed to have communion. This is what it felt like to be unaccepted into Jesus' family. I'm not faulting the Catholics. They have a way of interpreting their, their own. I understand that a lot of Catholics now do accept other fellow believers to come in and share communion. But it was that one time that I remember how it hurt to be unaccepted. Jesus is just the opposite when he offers this table and the elements, the sacraments that are here that are so holy, the cup and the bread, the the body that he had sacrificed and the blood that ran so that we could be accepted. We all live busy lives. No one's going to say no to that, right? We're all torn in different ways. We're all running crazy during the week. And then we come here to church and we come to this table Paul told the Corinthians, he said, let a person examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. As Kathy said, we're accepted at the table, but it's also a time to to spend some time with, with God, with Jesus, examining our hearts. It gives us the opportunity to do just that, for a heart check, if you will. I was reading in 1 John this week. And I loved what it said here. It says, if we claim that we experience a shared life with him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. But if we walk in the light, God himself being the light, we also experience a shared life with one another. 
as the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's Son, purges all sin. I think about the words from the scriptures we read earlier, do this in remembrance of me. Those words have kind of stuck with me. They've kind of haunted me all week. Is he just talking about this meal that we share? Yeah, do this. Do this in remembrance of me. As I thought about this idea of forgiveness, you know, I, I realized that it's a chance that not only for me to cry out for forgiveness, man, as I said earlier, I want my table to look like his. And that means I need my heart searched for maybe those that I need to forgive. You now it gives us a chance to acknowledge that we are impacted. We are imperfect beings walking through an imperfect world together, showing each other where the bread's at. I need forgiveness, but I'll tell you, there are those that I need to forgive. You know, we, we received a, an email from the pastor in Bungoma recently, just today, and hearing his words realized that I, made me realize I'm still holding on some of that anger in him. And I need to forgive him. So my heart is being searched tonight for how can I have the strength to do that and I know I can find it here. Henry Nowen speaks into that. He says, this is our vocation to convert the enemy into a guest and to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. Reconciliation. The table offers reconciliation. I tried to think of of how to describe reconciliation, and I came up with one verse, and that is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, God has a purpose, and his purpose is that of redemption for all people in the world. Redemption, reconciliation. God sent Jesus in the world to reconcile God with humans, and and that's what we find at the table. We come to the table, we desire to recover this sense of awe by participating in the act of communion. How can the wonder and magnificence of God's grace expressed in the death and resurrection of Jesus be experienced so that our spirits are renewed, so that we don't just do it for the sake of going through the motions of taking communion, but it is a celebration. It is a time when we can celebrate God for what he has done. And we need to always remember what he has done. We need to teach our children what he has done. And what better way than communion? This morning, I decided I wanted to do a Google search for the word hope. And I asked it to search for images of hope. And if you do that, very few images come up. I mean, Bob Hope. Bob Hope came up, right? (laughs) Yeah, a movie poster for Hope Floats and the Hope Diamond. 
that came up. And I don't want to challenge Google, but none of those things made me feel like I had a sense of hope. But as I look at the table before me, this is my image of hope. By his sacrifice, Jesus has made a place at the table. I'm a very tangible person. So to me, Jesus has made a place at his table where we can feel and we can touch and we can taste hope. It's by his sacrifice that we know we are not condemned. And the cool thing is, you know, we're given the opportunity to share that same hope with everybody that we invite to our own tables. You know, again, in 1 John, the beginning of that book, it says, from the very first day we were there, taking it all in. We heard it with our own ears, saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen, and now we're telling you in most sober prose, that we witnessed was this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it. We heard it. And now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Our motive for writing this is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. Your joy will double our joy. We have hope because we have communion with the Father. I think it can be easy to forget. And I thought a lot about our journey during Lent through the Stations of the Cross. As we went to Calvary, we took those steps. We felt his pain. And it's easy to forget that our symbol of hope required a great sacrifice from a God who loved us so much. And I think it's a challenge as we think about our own tables and how, you know, as I said in the beginning, Jesus, you know, he is the table, is the door to the good news. And we have a part of that by who we welcome at our table. And I know my challenge has been that I want my table to look like that of Jesus' table. I want to sit with all the wrong people. All right? I want to throw away that etiquette book. Not that I ever looked at it before, but I don't even want to know what it says. I want to be accepted, and I want to accept. I want to be forgiven, and I want to forgive. I want to be reconciled to him, and I want to be reconciled to those around me. And I want to be filled with hope and to create a space where others find it as well. And the main thing is, I want to do all of this in remembrance of him. Isn't it interesting that Jesus told, uh, told the communion place to be at the table? Now think about this. Everybody who lives in an apartment or a home has a table. It is a common place for the family to come together. And Jesus might just be saying, every time you come together with your family, 
and you are a family of believers. The table is where you reach these things, acceptance and forgiveness and reconciliation and hope. I don't know where you are tonight in your spiritual walk. I would tend to guess that we're probably on, on uh, different levels. We have different struggles. We have loss. We have anger. We have a lot of things to deal with. But as we invite you tonight to come to the table with your little group sitting around the table, we invite you to really experience and celebrate what Jesus has done for you. That when you take this bread and eat it, you think about the body that he gave up. He died so that you could have abundant life. And when you drink that juice, drink that and remember the blood that was shed for you. And I hope you get excitement inside welling of appreciation of what God has done for you tonight. So the table of bread is now made to be ready. It's the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It's the table of sharing with the poor of the world with who Jesus identified himself. It is the table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come to this table, you who have much faith, and you who would like to have a little more, you who have been here often, and you who have not been here for a long time, you who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed, come. It is Christ who invites us to meet him here. The table is open.